0: CHAPTER 19 OF THE CREATORS, A COMEDY BY Mason SINCLAIR. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY EXPATRIATE IN BANGOR, Maine. CHAPTER 19 Broderick's house, Moor Grange, stood on the Row Hampton side of Putney Heath, just discernible between the silver and green of the birches. With its queer, red-tiled roofs pitched at every possible slope, white rough-cast many-cornered walls green storm shutters lattice windows of many sorts and sizes brodrick's house had all the brilliant eccentricity of the twentieth century but brodrick's garden was at least a hundred years older than his house it had a beautiful green lawn with a lime-tree in the middle and a stone-flagged terrace at the back overlooking the north end of the heath beyond the house there was a kitchen garden that had survived modernity broderick's garden was kept very smooth and very straight no impudent little flowers hanging out of their beds no dissolute straggling of creepers upon walls even the sweet peas at the back were trained to a perfect order and propriety and in broderick's house propriety and order were carried to the point of superstition nothing in that queer cornered modern exterior was ever out of place no dust ever lay on floor or furniture all the white painted woodwork was exquisitely white time there was measured by a silver chiming clock that struck the quiet hours with an infallible regularity and yet brodrick was not a tidy nor a punctual man in his library the spirit of order contended against fearful odds for brodrick lived in his library the long book-lined upstairs room that ran half the length of the house on the north side but even there violate as he would his own sanctuary the indestructible propriety renewed itself by a diurnal miracle he found books restored to their place papers sorted everything an editor could want lying ready to his hand for the spirit of order rose punctually to perform its task but in the drawing-room its struggles and its triumph were complete it had been so brodrick's sisters told him a man's idea of a drawing-room and now there were feminine touches so incongruous and scattered that they seemed the work of a person establishing herself tentatively almost furtively by small inconspicuous advances and installments a little work-table stood beside the low settle in the corner by the fireplace gay shining chintz covered the ugly chairs there were cushions here and there where a woman's back most needed them books too classics in slender duodecimo bought for their cheapness novels from the circulating library of the kind that brodrick never read on the top of a writing-table flagrantly feminine in its appointments there stood well in sight of the low chair a photograph of brodrick which brodrick could not possibly have framed and put there the woman who entered this room now had all the air of being its mistress she moved in it so naturally and with such assurance as in her sphere you would have judged her occupied with some mysterious personal predilections with regard to drawing-rooms she paused in her passage to reinstate some article dishonored by the parlor maid to pat a cushion into shape and place a chair better to her liking at each of these small fastidious operations she frowned like one who resents interference with the perfected system of her own arrangements she sat down at the writing-table and took from a pigeon-hole a sheaf of tradesmen's bills these she checked and docketed conscientiously after entering their totals in a book marked household from all these acts she seemed to draw some secret enjoyment and satisfaction here she was evidently in a realm secure from the interference of the incompetent with a key attached to her person she now unlocked the inmost shrine of the writing-table a small squat heap of silver and of copper sat there like the god of the shrine she took it in her hand and counted it and restored it to its consecrated seat she then made a final entry cash in hand thirty-five shillings she sat smiling in tender contemplation of this legend it stood for the savings of the last month effected by her deft manipulation of the household there was no suggestion of cupidity in her smile nor any hint of economy adored and pursued for its own sake she was gertrude collette the lady who for three years had acted as brodrick's housekeeper or as she now preferred to call herself his secretary she had contrived out of this poor material of his weekly bills to fashion for herself a religion and an incorporeal romance she raised her face to the photograph of brodrick as if spiritually she rendered her account to him and brodrick's face from the ledge of the writing-table looked over gertrude's head with an air of being unmoved by it all with eyes intent on their own object she brodrick's secretary might have been about five-and-thirty she was fair with the fairness which is treacherous to women of her age which suffers when they suffer but gertrude's skin still held the colors of her youth as some strong fabric holds its dye her face puzzled you it was so broad across the cheekbones that you would have judged it coarse it narrowed suddenly in the jaws pointing her chin to subtlety her nose broad also across the nostrils and bridge showed a sharp edge in profile it was alert competent inquisitive but there was mystery again in the long-drawn pale rose lines of her mouth a wide mouth with irregular lips not coarse but coarsely finished its corners must once have drooped with pathos but this tendency was overcome or corrected by the serene habit of her smile it was not the face of a dreamer yet at the moment you would have said she dreamed her eyes light-colored slightly prominent stared unsheltered under their pale lashes and insufficient brows they were eyes that at first sight had no depths in them yet they seemed to hold vapor they dreamed they showed her dream she started as the silver chiming clock struck the quarter she went upstairs to the room that was her own and examined herself carefully in the looking glass then she did something to her hair weighed slightly and kept in place by small amber-colored combs gertrude's hair though fragile sustained the effect of her almost scandinavian fairness next she changed her cotton blouse for an immaculate muslin one as she drew down the blouse and smoothed it under the clipping belt she showed a body flat in the back sharp-breasted curved in the waist the body of a thoroughly competent serviceable person her face now almost suggested prettiness as she turned and turned its little tilted profile between two looking-glasses at half-past three she was seated at her place in brodrick's library a table was set apart for her and her typewriter on a corner by the window the editor was at work at his own table in the center of the room he did not look up at her as she came in his eyes were lowered fixed on the proof he was reading once as he read he shrugged his shoulders slightly and once he sighed then he called her to him she rose and came moving dreamily as if drawn yet holding herself stiffly and aloof he continued to gaze at the proof you sat up half the night to correct this i suppose have i done it very badly he did not tell her that she had that he had spent the best part of his morning correcting her corrections she was an inimitable housekeeper and a really admirable secretary but her weakness was that she desired to be considered admirable and inimitable in everything she undertook it would distress her to know that this time she had not succeeded and he did not like distressing people who were dependent on him it used to be so easy so mysteriously easy to distress miss colette but she had got over that she was used to him now she had settled down into the silent and serene performance of her duties and she had brought to her secretarial work a silence and serenity that were invaluable to a man who detested argument and agitation so instead of insisting on her failure he tried to diminish her disturbing sense of it and when she inquired if she had done her work very badly he smiled and said no she had done it much too well too well she flushed as she echoed him yes you've corrected all mr tanqueray's punctuation and nearly all his grammar but it's all wrong look there and there how do you know it's all wrong but it's so simple there are rules yes but mr tanqueray is a great author and great authors are born to break half the rules there are what you and i have got to know is when they may break them and when they may not a liquid film swam over gertrude's eyes deepening their shallows it was the first signal of distress it's all right he said i wanted you to do it i wanted to see what you could do he considered her quietly it struck me you might perhaps prefer it to your other duties what made you think that i didn't think i only wondered well the next half-hour was occupied with the morning's correspondence till Brodrick announced that they had no time for more it's only just past four she said i know but is there anything for tea he spoke vaguely like a man in a dream what an opinion you have of my housekeeping she said your housekeeping miss Colette, is perfection she flushed with pleasure so that he kept it up everything he said runs on greased wheels i don't know how you do it oh it's easy enough to do and it doesn't matter if a lady comes to tea he took up a pencil and began to sharpen it is there said miss collette a lady coming to tea yes and we'll have it in the garden tea i mean and who said she is the lady miss jane holland brodrick did not look up he was absorbed in his pencil another author another author said brodrick to his pencil she smiled the editor's attitude to authors was one of prolonged amusement prodigious people authors in brodrick's opinion more than once by way of relieving his somewhat perfunctory communion with miss Collette, he had discussed the eccentricity the vanity the inexhaustible absurdity of authors so that it was permissible for her to smile you are not he said expecting either of my sisters he said it in his most casual most uninterested voice and yet she detected an undertone of anxiety he did not want his sisters to be there when miss holland came she had spent three years in studying his inflections and his wants not specially today she said broderick became manifestly entangled in the process of his thought the thought itself was as yet obscure to her she inquired therefore where miss holland was to be shown in was she a drawing-room author or a library author in the perfect and unspoken conventions of brodrick's house the drawing-room was miss collette's place and the library was his tea in the drawing-room meant that he desired miss collette's society tea in the library that he preferred his own there were also rules for the reception of visitors men were shown into the library and stayed there. Great journalistic ladies like Miss Caroline Bickersteth were shown into the drawing room. Little journalistic ladies with dubious manners, calling as they did solely on business, were treated as men and confined strictly to the library. Broderick's stare of surprise showed Gertrude that she had blundered. He had a superstitious reverence for those authors who, like Mr. Tanqueray, were great. My dear Miss Collette, do you know who she is the drawing-room of course and all possible honor she laughed she had cultivated for Brodrick's sake the art of laughter and prided herself upon knowing the precise moments to be gay i see she said and yet she did not see how could there be any honor if he did not want his sisters to be there that means the best tea service and my best manners he didn't know he said that she had any but the best how good they were she let him see when he presented miss holland on her arrival her trailing conspicuous arrival gertrude had never given him occasion to feel that his guests could have a more efficient hostess than his secretary she spoke of the pleasure it gave her to see miss holland and of the honour that she felt and of how she had heard of miss holland from mr brodrick there was no becoming thing that gertrude did not say and all the time she was aware of brodrick's eyes fixed on miss holland with that curious lack of diffuseness in their vision brodrick was carrying it off by explaining gertrude to miss holland miss collett he said is a wonderful lady she's always doing the most beautiful things so quietly that you never knew they're done does anybody said jane know how the really beautiful things are done there's a really beautiful tea said Miss Colette Gaily in the garden there are scones and the kind of cake you like you see broderick said how she spoils me how i lie on roses you'd better come said miss colette while the scones are still hot while said jane the roses are still fresh he held the door open for her and on the threshold she turned to miss colette who followed her are you sure said she that he's the horrid cyberite you think him. I am, said Broderick, whatever Miss Colette thinks me. If it pleases her to think I'm a cyberite, I've got to be a cyberite. I see. And when the rose leaves are crumpled, you bring them to Miss Collette, and she irons them out and makes them all smooth again, so that you don't know they're the same rose leaves. The rose leaves never are crumpled. Except by some sudden unconsidered movement of your own my movements said brodrick are never sudden and unconsidered what never miss collette looked a little surprised at this light-handed treatment of the editor and jane observed brodrick with a new interest as they sat there in the garden and miss collette poured out tea mr brodrick she said to herself is going to marry miss collette though he doesn't know it by the end of the afternoon it seemed to her an inevitable consummation the marriage of mr brodrick and miss colette she could almost see it working the predestined attraction of the eternally compatible the incomparably fit and when brodrick left off taking any notice of miss colette and finally lured jane away into the library on the flimsiest pretense she wondered what game he was up to perhaps in his innocence he was blind to miss colette's adoration he was not sure of miss colette he was trying to draw her jane intensely interested advanced from theory to theory of brodrick and miss Collett, while brodrick removed himself to the writing-table and turned on her a mysterious back i want to show you something he said she went to him in the bared centre of the writing-table he had placed a great pile of manuscript he drew out his chair for her so that she could sit down and look well at the wonder her heart leaped to the handwriting and to george tanqueray's name on the title page you've seen it he said no mr tanqueray never shows his work from some lair in the back of the desk he swept forward a prodigious array of galley proofs tanqueray's novel was in the first number of the monthly review oh she cried looking up at him i've pleased you he said you have pleased me very much she rose and turned away overcome as by some desired and unexpected joy he followed her making a cushioned place for her in the chair by the hearth and seated himself opposite her i was very glad to do it he said simply it will do you more good than hambleby she said you know i did not think so said he and there was a pause between them mr brodrick she said presently do you really want a cereal from me do i want it as much as you think you do i always said he want things as much as i think i do she smiled wondering whether he thought he wanted miss collette as much as he obviously did what he said are you going to let me have the next i had thought of it if you really do have you had any other offers yes several but you must remember mine is only a new venture and you may do better it was odd, but a curious uncertainty. A modesty had come upon him since she last met him. He had been then so absurd, so arrogant about his magazine. I don't want to do better. Of course, if it's only a question of terms. It was incredible, Brodrick's depreciating himself to a mere question of terms. She flushed at this dreadful thought. It isn't, she said. Oh, I didn't mean that. You never mean that, which is why I must think of it for you. I can at least offer you higher terms. But, she persisted, I should hate to take them. I want you to have the thing. That's to say, I want you to have it. You must not go paying me more for that. I see, he said. You want to make up. She looked at him. He was smiling complacently in the fullness of his understanding of her. My dear Miss Holland, he went on, there must be no making up nothing of that sort between you and me there isn't she said what is there to make up for for you're not getting me he smiled again as if that idea amused him or said she for my making you take mr tanqueray you didn't make me he said i took him to please you well she said and you'll take me now to please me she rose i must say goodbye to miss collette how nice she said miss collette is isn't she said he he saw her politely to the station that evening he drank his coffee politely in the drawing-room with miss collette do you know he said miss holland thinks you're nice to his wonder miss collette did not look as if the information gave her any joy did she say so yes do you think her nice of course i do what said he do you really think of her he was in the habit of asking miss collette what she thought of people it interested him to know what women thought especially what they thought of other women it was in the spirit of their old discussions that she now replied you can see she is a great genius they say geniuses are bad to live with but i do not think she would be he did not answer he was considering very profoundly the question she had raised which was precisely what Miss Collette meant that he should do. As the silver chiming clock struck ten, she rose and said good night. She never allowed these sittings to be prolonged past ten. Neither did Broderick. And I am not to read any more proofs, she said. Do you like reading them? She smiled. It's not because I like it. I simply wanted to save you. You do save me most things. I try, she said sweetly, to save you all he smiled now there are limits he said even to your power of saving me and to my capacity for being saved the words were charged with a significance that broderick himself was not aware of as if the powers that worked in him obscurely had used him for the utterance of a divination not his own his secretary understood him better than he did himself she had spent three years in understanding him and now for the first time in three years her lucidity was painful she could not contemplate serenely the thing she thought she had seen therefore she drew a veil over it and refused to believe that it was there he did not mean anything said Gertrude to herself he is not the sort of man who means things which was true end of chapter 19 recording by expatriate in Bangor Maine